Must be like the Wolf Pack, not like Six Pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello and welcome to another episode of There's No I In Podcast, a podcast about teams. Uh, It's about being in teams. It is about leading teams. uh, It is about making the most out of your teams. Uh, My name is Mark Johnson. I am a performance teacher and a performance maker, and I am joined, as always, by uh, partner in pod and birthday boy, Sean Gallagher, who is the head of uh, co-curricular and sport at our shared workplace. Hello, Sean. Hello, Mark. Um, we're in the same room today. We are indeed socially distant, indeed, uh, and that make that makes that makes a change, and it's quite exciting. It gives it gives it an entirely different vibe. It does. It does. The uh, we are in the matrix. Uh, we are in <laughs> Mark's matrix of tricks and tech, which is uh, very impressive. Uh, I don't know what any of the buttons. I do. think I'm setting some kind of a record for screens. At the moment, with the number of phones and bits and pieces. Absolutely. It's like, impressive. We have a great episode this week. Um, and I think we'll, talk, we'll, we'll save most of our talking for afterwards, because I think we want you to hear what we were talking about before we get into it uh, today, because I don't introduce her very well in the uh, episode. We have uh, a colleague of mine, Anna Glaren. Anna runs... Uh, a couple of things, but the one that we run together is an organisation called Waterloo Community Theatre, which is a group that make theatre, we say, for, with and about young people. And it's basically theatre that that tries to speak to adults about what it's like being a young person in the world today. Obviously, super interesting time to be a young person, super scary time, super challenging time to be a young person. So the stuff that uh, comes out when we work with them is really, really fascinating and uh, incredibly enlightening. And Anna gets into kind of the value of that a little bit as we talk. Um, So Sean, if you don't mind, without further ado, uh, this is our interview conversation with Anna Glarin from Waterloo Community Theatre. So we are very excited to have on the podcast today, a very good friend of mine, I'll say that up front. So you're going to hear uh, a lot of, of them talking about the work that they do. And I will say right now, I've been involved in some of that work. But uh, it's a huge privilege to have onto the podcast, Anna Glarin. Hello, Anna. Hello, Mark. How are you doing? <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for uh, we've, we've worked together for ages uh, yeah. and we've got 50 odd episodes of the, or nearing 50 odd episodes of the podcast. Uh, finally, I've, I've got you on. I've given you in our, in our intro to this, just a very, very brief introduction. Yeah. Would you like to tell us? a little bit about kind of your journey, how you've got to where you are uh, today. Okay, my journey. Um, (laughs) So I am originally from Sweden, from Lapland in Sweden. Grew up in a very remote town, far above the Arctic Circle, um, and really wanted out of there as quickly as possible to experience (laughs) life. Um, And by the age of 21, I decided to make my way to London, because London was like the Holy Grail. This is where all the music came from and where stuff happened. So this is really the place I wanted to to be at. So I, I decided to buy a one-way ticket to London and just see what happens. And that's kind of what I did. Um, and it took me on a on a roller coaster journey to, to where I'm now. So in that time, so I've been here now 20, 
23 years, I guess. More than half my life. Scary. You're a Londoner um, then. Yes, I am. I'm officially British, actually, now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in that time, I've, I've uh, had my daughter um, and she's now 20. So she, um, she's grown up here. She's a Londoner through and through. I worked as a teacher, trained as a teacher, worked as a teacher for about 10 years in that time. But I've always, theatre has always been my thing. I did amateur dramatics as a young teenager, with, which kind of led me to do um, actor training when I was in my late teens, early 20s. And I think that's what I kind of wanted to do when I came to London. I thought, oh, I'm going to be an actor an actor. That obviously <laughs> didn't happen. Um, and for good reason, because I'm not very good at it, but I'm very good at working with people. Um, and I kind of realized that very quickly. And I kind of always wanted to do something with, and I think that's why I fell into education, work with young people and use drama, but I didn't quite know what that shape that would take. I didn't know applied theater was a thing. And only when I did my master's, really, in applied theatre, I started to understand. I'd never heard about Boel before, because we, we were not taught about Boel and, you know, you know, those techniques that he uses, forum theatre and that sort of thing. Getting my master's in 2016 in applied theatre was kind of the beginning of the new journey that I mm. started, left teaching behind and started Waterloo Community Theatre which we now run together. Yeah. So I started that and kind of realised very quickly that I can't do this on my own. This is too <laughs> big. I need someone. And then luckily you, Mark, came along and took on that mantle. So we kind of run that together now. And I think that's kind of, uh, that's my outlet for creativity. And it's how I kind of, I like to work with young people and champion their voices because I think stems, stems from me being a young teenager and never feeling heard. Mm. Like, Adults never taking you seriously and brushing you away and thinking, oh, you know nothing, you're just a child, you're just a teenager. And I think that's so unfair. And I think we still treat kids like that. And I think it's wrong. And I think we need to change our ways. Um, and that's really why I want to work with young people. Yeah. Education wasn't the vehicle for me, but I kind of find my way now. Um, and that's kind of where we are. That takes us up to date, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, like there's some themes there. I think, Sean, you'll recognise we've... we've Dipped into ourselves. Indeed. Uh, acro yeah. Across the episodes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Anna. Hey. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, John. Thanks, <laughs> thanks so much for coming on. Um, feel like um, you've already started to reference some stuff from uh, Applied Theatre, which went straight over my head. So <laughs> it's probably uh, good that we have Mark here in, in the episode <laughs> today to, to fill in all of the knowledge gaps. Yeah, yeah. There's, some, there's something you were talking about there that I wanted to jump in. And, and I mean, Sean and I have talked about Applied Theatre on the course before. Yeah. Uh, on the course. Uh, on Sean and I have talked about Applied Theatre on the podcast before in different contexts and yeah. certainly in the context of my role as an educator and when we have referenced the work that we do at WCT at Waterloo yeah. Community Theatre. How would you define what you mean when you talk about applied theatre? I mean, I think theatre that happens in a non-traditional space. And for mm. me, it isn't about, you know, the jazz hands, the production. <laughs> it's about the process and it's about what happens in the space to get you to, to that you know, the end product, whatever that might be. Yeah. And, and that is what interests me. That is what I'm finding really intriguing. What happens in the room yeah. when all those people come together and they collaborate and share ideas and start creating something, mm. something that didn't exist before. And it's usually 
we often work with autobiographical stuff, don't we? So mm. it usually tells the stories of their lives, of their experiences. And finding ways of telling those stories, I, f- I think, is is really interesting. And that it's a, it's a, it's a collaborative effort. It's not just yeah. me telling them, this is what I hear and this is what I think we should do. It's something we all do together. And that's something that Sean and I, and in a couple of recent episodes, in particular last week when we were talking to um, Alex, who runs uh, effectively an applied fencing coaching Oh, that's uh, interesting. Business. Yeah. So he's, yeah. he's, he's, he is training fencers to, to, to be elite fencers if, if they want to be, but he's also, he's considering his work as a sports coach to be making that sport accessible to people so that mm. they can experience it and enjoy it and get something out of it, mm. even when and where they're not looking to be an elite athlete. And so I think that there is something worth talking about today on, on that collaboration front that you're talking about. We're not talking about necessarily people who've shown up to, to be the best performer mm. or be the most experienced sure, performer yeah. or even people who know what it's like to be in that room, the rehearsal room or the the room where we're making a piece of theatre. How would you describe or how do you encounter that kind of that first coming together when you've got a bunch of people who maybe have never met each other before, who've maybe never done theatre before, but all of the stuff that we've talked about repeatedly on the podcast of, of trust and of mm. uh, safety and of like fun, mm. how do you turn that on <laughs> from, 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 a, from a complete standing start? Oh God, that's a tricky question, isn't it? Um, I think, drop, first of all, dropping the name theatre in there scares people off immediately because yeah. um, they make assumptions. <laughs> oh, but I'm not an actor. Um, and then try and tell them, well, this is not really about acting. It's about learning about yourself and it's about getting something out of other people working together to create something. Um, you don't even need to be specifically, particularly creative to do it. Um, it's just the, and whoever turns up in that room are the right people, right? And yeah. whoever makes that space what it is, that's the right thing. That's what it needs to be. And I think that's really hard for people to understand because they have preconceived ideas yeah. um, or what's expected of them. I was just going to say that's really interesting because where you say whoever turns up in that room are the the kind of right people for the room. And we speak so much about culture across all different types of organizations with all of the people that we've had um, on the podcast. And that's kind of a, of a re- reversal of kind of what we've been hearing because we think that culture is really important. So it's almost like things are set up so that the room is set up for that person to walk into, yeah. but they mm-hmm. have to fit into what that room looks like. Yeah. And if they don't, they might not be the right fit for us. Whether that's, you know, a negative or a positive yeah. is up for debate, I think. But it's just interesting in your case to say what we have come through the door is right for us, you know, is right for that room. Because I'm imagining from your point of view, it's another young person or it's another person Usually, to, to yes. work with yeah. and create something with. And it's just another body in the room because yeah. even that's important. Like if we have four people or six people, we might be able to do more with six people. But that's also really scary because when, as a facilitator of a, of a space, when you don't know who's going to turn up and what's going to happen, you can't, you can't plan it. Like a teacher, you come in with your plans and you deliver your lesson because you have your outcomes. Tick, that box is done. 
But with this way of facilitating, you never know. And that's really scary because it's the unknown and you just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's that it's that difference between considering yourself a director of theatre mm. and a facilitator of theatre making. Yeah. where And you described it quite nicely, Sean, where you said literally someone could rock up off the street. I remember a session where a kid literally ran in the room having been like chased he was being chased for fun, not scary chased, or he was chasing his mate and his mate was a member of the group. Yes. And this kid just bolted in. We'd never met him before. Uh, and and he goes, okay, so what's this then? <laughs> All right, I'll stay. Like we talk about invitations. He completely invited himself and decided to stay. Yeah. And if you have a plan at that moment, that plan has to change, right? Oh God, it goes out the window and you just roll with it, don't you? And we did. And we did. Yeah. So when you say you start with like, you have to have nothing. Mm. I'm not convinced it's, it's ever nothing. No, it's never nothing. What is it that you, what is it that you have in the toolbox? What is it that you have to, to be ready for that moment? First of all, it's a lot of experience. I think having worked with lots of people, you kind of develop, I don't know. Yeah. It's experience. Just knowing what, what to do in unexpected situations, I guess. But just having lots of games ready, lots of things that would facilitate something to happen because you can't just sit there in a yeah. circle and do nothing. Yeah. You've got to have something to start it off with. So whether that's posing a question or um, asking for, you know, we often start a session with what are we thinking about today in a check in? What's going on in our minds? And that generates conversation and that takes us off on a tangent. Yeah. Like we had a plan for one of our podcasts that we did and that I'll talk about later. And we had a plan for what we wanted to do. And um, by that time, it was just after the murder that happened in Brixton recently. And, you know, the, the response, the emotional response of the public to that. And we felt it important to address. Mm. And so all the plans we had went out the window and we just talked about that. And the session became about that because the young people needed to vent, talk about it, process it. And this was the space to do it. Um, so we facilitated that. Yeah, I think I think like you said, the the experience is is super important. Um, like from a sports perspective as well, it's the same thing. You know, you never really know what session you're going to end up with. You may have an idea of some numbers that you're going to get, but two go down ill. You've got your biggest game coming up, and you know your top striker is out. They're injured. You know, they call up the day before. This is at you know grassroots level now, not not at elite level. But but even then, it's like you said, it's kind of having a structure in your mind, but knowing that you may need to go to plan B, C yeah. or even D sometimes. And also and just knowing in your mind why you're there, you know, just having that at the back of your mind. What is the purpose of this? Why are we here? Absolutely. Because that will give you steer. That will give you some direction about what you're planning to do or what you, what you yeah, end up doing. Absolutely. And, and even when you say, yes, it's random for, you know, a young person to walk through the door chasing their friend. But like once that's happened once, <laughs> that's kind of then goes into your toolbox, right? Like Mark spoke about, because now if that happens again, that's where the experience kicks in because, oh no, my brain can go back to that moment and what mm. I kind of done then. So yeah, I, I think as, as kind of facilitators um, of anything that we're, that we're, that we're trying to organize is to be very open-minded and not be too rigid in what we were looking to get out of the session mm. so many times I've really planned the session and yeah. I've really you know to the nth degree and I'm like this is what I want this to look like today and five minutes in the young people you know are on a completely different wavelength they don't want to do that today and so you have to find what they need in that moment 
um, to end up still having some of your outcomes, like you said, like your steer and what you want to get out of the session. Mm. Um, but you have to do that like on the fly. And so, yeah, I think it's a huge skill that a lot of people in, 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 in most industries in a nine to five say, you know, not that there's anything wrong with a nine to five, but sometimes you don't have to make those kind of subtle changes in your, mm. in your role yeah, no, day I to agree. day. So it's, yeah, no, it's a very different skill set when you work Absolutely. this way that we do, that you need. Sure. Now I'm going to pose this kind of having a sense of where it's going to go, but as an organization that is effectively charitable, that is effectively nonprofit, uh, a lot of the resources of organizations like Waterloo Community Theatre are funded Mm. and funded organizations have to meet aims. Mm. How do you tie the, the freedom or the structure uh, listeners mm-hmm. of how you work with the need to deliver something. Oh, it's such a tricky line to to walk because we are at the mercy of the funders. Mm. We have to be able to have an income and we are completely 100% reliant on external funding. Mm. So looking for those funding pots is, is hard. You try and fit it with your aims, but that's <laughs> not always possible. Like at the moment, we're not theatre makers, we're filmmakers because that what the, that's what the funder wants yeah. at we're making films. Um, but I think, again, that comes back to being that flexible, adaptable yeah. um, practitioner that you just kind of, well, go along with it and go, okay, well, this is just going to add another string to my bow, essentially. I'm yeah. going to learn something from this. Um, and it's a good thing. Um, so see it as a positive. Yeah, we have to satisfy all these different things because of the, that's what the mm. funder wants. We have to come up with the out- output of two films. That's what we're doing. But along the way, we're going to learn loads about what it's like to make a film and those are skills that we can take back into the, into the theatre making room so I don't think necessarily it's, it's a bad thing no where you have this matching the funding pots mm. to meet the aims or look for projects that you'll be able to achieve what it is you're trying to achieve mm. that sense of remember why you're in the room why are you in the room what is the, what is the overall kind of global goal of an organisation like WCT? Oh, I mean, now, because there's been so many closures of youth organisation overall, and particularly in our, in our area, mm. they just don't exist anymore. Um, so space like ours is really valuable. And that's why it's not always necessarily about theatre making. Yeah. Sometimes it's just about talking yeah. or, you know, messing around. Yeah, or being or just, with or each other. Being, or Just, yeah, just make the space what it is and what's needed. But spaces like this, grassroots organisation spaces that don't exist much anymore yeah it's really important and for young people's lives it's a lifeline i think yeah and that's why we're there and that's why we don't always make theater even though we are theater makers and that's what we are really want to do ideally but you know that's not always what we end up doing that's our that's our skill set but like you say if you pick something up along the way Mm. like the next time like sean was saying we will be able to go well is this a film that we're making or is this a piece of radio or podcast that we're making or is this uh, something else that I haven't even thought of because at the moment we've just lived through or are living through an environment where how performance is made has changed so dramatically. And that can only be a good thing, right? Because it just means that we are developing and learning all the time with the young people, you know, we're doing it with them. Yes. Obviously, obviously you said, uh, you know, you can't always make theatre because this is kind of just, you, you just want the space to be there for young people to, to come to and for a number of different reasons uh, why that would be important um, in a community. 
But what if you do have a young person that comes in and does want to be the next superstar actor? Right. And we do, and we do, and we do have that. We had people walk through the door whose like specific aim is to be on EastEnders. <laughs> and believe it or not, they are still with us. Yeah. <laughs> nice. That's a really useful question actually, because I don't always know myself and I, you know, as a member of this community, as this organization, I trained as an actor trainer mm. and I don't do an awful lot of actor training. So how do we serve that person? Yeah. I mean, it's really important. I think for anyone who works with young people um, is to, and I think what most people don't do is, is share the young people. You know, mm. when a young person comes to you, you don't want to share them with someone else because they're ticking your box. And if they find something else somewhere else, they might leave and they might go and join them instead. And yeah. then you lose them. And and that's just a complete, completely the wrong way around yeah. for me. We need to work together to serve that young person best. And if they choose to come to us, that's great. But if we spot something in them and they have yeah. a talent, it's our duty to make sure that they can fulfill that. And yeah use that talent. So for this particular young person, we've managed to get him signed up to an agency. So he's yeah. now represented. I've signposted him to Southwark Playhouse. Yeah, because they, 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 do they, other do, they do stuff with a, with a, with another theater and they will keep coming back to us. Yeah. And they're one of our most regular members, actually one of our most consistent members, mm. um, even with everything that's going on. Like there is a degree to which I think, so I'm hijacking this, um, where I think we have to recognize that despite it being my skill and experience, and despite it being Anna's skill and experience, like that's we're not there for that. Absolutely. For those yeah. people. No, you're spot on. We're not necessarily going to make, this is not going to be the environment where you become the most skilled performer. Mm. However, everything underneath that you might need to be that performer, we're going to be drawing out of you. Yeah. Coaxing out of you mm. through the kind of the autobiographical work. Sorry, this, this is, so, I'm so invested no, in this. This has turned into yeah, getting, getting rid of Anna. <laughs> Anna, thanks for your time. This is the Mark I'll be show. Off now then. <laughs> no, but you're absolutely right. Right. Anna, I think that was really, I think that was really honest of you though, to, to make the point on, uh, this person is ours now. And, you know, like we don't want to share them, uh, yeah. because they could be serving s certain purposes for us. I think that's really important. And I think that that happens a lot in schools and in sport, even if you look, you know, from a co-curricular point of view, you have the musician who's also the actor, yeah. who's also mm. the sports person and the school kind of has to try and, you know, push and pull them into, into different things. And then, as I said, you know, elite kind of young yeah. athletes, it's the same mm. thing. They may be good at two or three different things, but Bringing it back Where to you really don't want them to leave your club because we spoke to people like Michael Moore uh, running youth coaching where Absolutely. you have that kid that's elite and like they are going to be best served by going off to Juventus. <laughs> Absolutely. And, but and that means letting go of them. Absolutely. And, and just on a really teams based sort of question. And I think that when you look at just organizations and even businesses, it's interesting that like a good team would maybe not hold on to its best people or do they hold on to their best people? You know, is it who's serving who there? So I think that's a really interesting point that you brought up. At yeah. some point that kid's going to get bigger than us. Of course. Like, and then, and but then my hope is that he will. They, they, they <laughs> Fund will... a project because he got paid millions <laughs> on his tenders. Yes. <laughs> but you know, they'll be so invested in what they've done for us and what we've done for them 
that they will give back. You know, they come back and do something for us that gives the next generation of young people something to look forward to and yeah. inspire to. Or like we were talking about last week, if you can see yourself in it, it becomes a possibility yeah. for you. Yeah. So if you come back as a person who represents those young people and shows them the possibility of progression, then then that become that becomes a, a, a reality for them or a possibility mm. for them. Mm. I was going to say the talented person, I think, uh, they figure that so they figured the environment out very quickly. And I think if you guys were trying to cling on to the talent, it would maybe make them move away. Mm. Whereas if it always seems like a safe and open space where sure, yeah. w- we just want the best out of you, whether that's here, whether that's there, whether whatever that may be, mm. you're always welcome here and it feels safe and, and they enjoy the experience. I think it takes a lot of that pressure off of them and that, you know, if they do want to move on to something else they can do. And I think mm. that's quite an important thing for teams to remember is that we need to nurture the talent and, and create an environment that they enjoy, but not at the detriment of the of of holding yeah. them back, we're there to grow them, not limit them. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, I have a question that that's somewhat connected to that, and is very connected to conversations that I've had in both directions with both of you. So I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this as well, Sean. A lot of the work that you do with the young people involves this idea of facilitation, of offering opportunity for creation or for their voice to be heard. As an adult in a room working with young people it strikes me that there's a challenge to not kind of overpower them or be, or, or be in a position where they're doing what you want. And I know that as a, as a group, we try and avoid that as much as possible. Like one, is it possible at all? Uh, And two, what is it that you're doing to make, to try and make that happen? Gosh, you know, I'm writing a PhD thesis on this. (laughs) Really? I am. Um, you know, this is all about the power dynamics that's at play in the room like this, because regardless of how you look at it, we are the adults. Um, and that brings with it lots of different um, sets of power. I'm the director of the company. I am an adult in the room. I am the facilitator, the leader. The most experienced, yeah. the the person who says when we start. The- yes, absolutely. All of those things. Um, that, that's you and me, right? That's what we do. We hold the power. Um, but I think what's, what, what you'd have to try and do is how you've, you're aware of that power and how you negotiate it in the room. So making sure that you, 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 you give them the opportunity to say what they need to say. Again, it ties back to that, that risk that you were talking about earlier, that it ain't going to go the way you mm. expect. Mm. Like, how do you make that a genuine offer? to the young people because they have an expectation of us to have the power as well. It's, it's, yeah. it's built into them. Yeah, for sure. But I think it's, I think you need to really make them understand that in some, quite a lot of aspects in the room, they are the ones with the power mm. because while we have all the experience of making theater and facilitating a room, they have the experience of what it is like to be a teenager. To be them. Yeah. And we don't, you know, we were teenagers years and years ago and the world looks very different. Um, so we can't claim to be experts in that area. And that's where they, they need to tell us what they think and their stories. And we need to respect that and yeah. really take that at, at, that this is, this is important. This is the, the work that we want to, want to share and they know about it and we don't and be very transparent about that. Yeah. Like in the room, we will say like, I don't know about this. You lead on this because I don't know. 
we did a session on, uh, uh, if you remember, on slang. Slang, yeah. yeah. And I mean, all these words that kids use these days, I haven't got a, the foggiest what it means. So I really I had to say, look, you, I don't know. You know, you tell me. Can you write us a dictionary? <laughs> yeah. We got them to write us a dictionary yeah. of what they were talking about. Use it in a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, the question I want to kind of tack on to that is where we know that we're the most experienced in theatre. We've seen more of it. We've made more of it. We've facilitated more of it than they have. Are we flexing our power to say, I don't think it should be the thing that you want to do. I don't think it should be done like that. Or is it our responsibility to, and this very much for Sean, where Sean, you're talking about really, really specific and ingrained techniques of of a sport. I want to play the game like this. Is it our job to challenge that or to let that play out? And be accepting of it, and if so, how are we how are we playing with the power bit, there? I think it's a bit of both, isn't it? Um, and that's the that's what the that's where your skill comes in, your experience and knowledge of when you need to step in and say, actually, I know that's not going to work in a show because I've done hundreds of them, and I know it's not going to work. So let's not go there. How about this instead? But as, I think as far as you can, you need to really let them develop their thoughts. You know. You know, blue sky thinking. Do whatever you think. You know, you need to really allow that. I think is that the same? Is that the same with sport? Like, like if a kid comes in and starts playing the wrong kind of game or the different kind of game plan, I guess would be the the equivalent. I mean, a game plan would be difficult for them by themselves to to kind of control because obviously, mm. the, it, it, let's say in football, there's ten other players, or you know, in rugby, there's fourteen other players, so they would be the odd one out, so to speak, which could kind of mess up your game plan but I think in coaching um the, the term used would be guided discovery and I'm not sure right. if that is used in in other kind of uh reference in other kind of industries but this guided discovery and there's a big conversation I have it with my brother all the time because he's a coach as well and he's working with young people and he's doing a master's in coaching at the moment and in sports coaching and there's this whole thinking of allowing the player to make their own decisions in certain scenarios and to ask their questions on what we should do here and what we should do there. And then there's the more traditional approach that A, B, and C is going to equal this. Model it first, show it. This is what I want from you. Very autocratic. Correct it. Correct it. And this is how I want you to play in a very structured kind of approach. And I don't have the answer to, to which is the best to, to do. And I think it goes back to Anna kind of saying what comes into the room of, is, is what you're going to need to work with. And a, a different groups will, will work, you know, even individuals will be different. You know, one, you might need an autocratic approach, get it done because, you know, we have a, we have a performance in two days time. Another person may not work like that and they will need that guided discovery kind of approach to things. But yeah, it's really up for debate in the sports industry, um, but does seem to be more going towards that guided discovery. If you look at the FA and, and the kind of governing bodies want those sorts of guided questions being asked. Um, and I'm, I'm still on the fence a little bit. I'm not too sure. I still think that we need kind of a structure and we do need to have some autocratic approach to things because, you know, you can flip it around. Yes, we're not, yes, we're not experienced in what a 14 year old day to day life is, but we are experienced as adults in the world. Right. And things do change, but they don't change so much. 
You know, teenagers want to be rebellious. They don't want to listen to their parents in most cases. They want to hang out with their friends. They want to listen to music they're maybe not supposed to listen to, watch films that aren't at their rated age. You know, like the, there are things that, that that all teenagers throughout time have wanted to do. So we then have the kind of decision to kind of say, no, look, we need to go down this road. And so, yeah, I, I'm very up in the, I can't give like a specific answer to it, Mark, but I think it's super important. Can I ask something specifically on that? Yeah. And this is to you, Anna. Sean just described a version of teenageness that is transgressive. And I don't disagree. I think that the pushing boundaries and taking risks is part and parcel of being a young person. Are you making, are you making a space for that? Is that is that no? Is that I what think the- I'd, I'd think the young people that come to us don't feel the need to rebel in our space because we we are the rebellion. Potentially, yes, um, we are the disruptors. <laughs> <Nice>. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but we don't we don't enforce rules. We have you know we have some very simple rules in the room, yeah. and it's really just like treat each other with respect and listen to each other. As long as you do that, anything goes. Um, we're not school. Um, you know, we we don't enforce anything on you. Yeah. And I think that's the difference. There is, there is, there are responsibilities more than rules, yeah. I guess, and and we do do a a fair amount of contending with what they're experiencing in in a school environment. So that's yeah, that's interesting. That we might we might be the way that they process rebellion, or they. Uh, you were talking about Boal actually, and that's that's referencing Augusto Boal, who was a applied theatre practitioner who did theatre within communities to highlight and come up with uh, options or solutions against oppression. And I think framing young people's experience of school, some schools, yeah. school at the moment as oppressive. Uh, the applied theatre approach is offering them a space where they can express that voice. Yeah. So I think a lot of what we're talking about here can be uh, tied into the kind of recent events at Pimlico Academy, Anna, um, where, you know, certain things are trying to be enforced um, Mm. from the head teacher and students have kind of, they've pushed back. Um, Staff and students have kind of pushed back. So where we're talking about school, maybe being seen slightly as an oppressive place uh, opposed to one of kind of more autonomy uh, or creativeness. Where do you kind of sit on that? And do you think that there is a place for kind of more structured approach and autocratic approach to, to working with young people opposed to what is happening at, um, let's say, you know, um, Waterloo uh, Community Theatre, for instance? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think that schools of today don't really serve... Uh, the curriculum as it is, it doesn't serve children very well. It just seems like it hasn't changed for like 40, 50 years. You know, mm. we don't, we're not training people to go and work in factories anymore. We're training people to be <laughs> thinking human beings. Um, but the curriculum isn't designed to do that, along with everything else that happens in schools, which I think to some degree is oppressive. And you might argue that, well, it's good to be, you know, in uniform and be be uniform. And, you know, you need to learn to... Um, this is like the workplace. You need to learn what it's like to be in the workplace. And I think it's all nonsense to be perfectly <laughs> honest. I'm, and I, I think there are schools, there are some really um, adventurous, explorative schools that have been doing it slightly differently. Um, and they seem to be, they seem to be more, be more successful in getting not just attainment, but s- students' well-being. 
Um, and I think that that counts for a lot. So I think schools need to change. You know, it's draconian the way we we. Well, yeah, I think if we've you know as we've been talking about about power, and as we've been talking specifically about adult power over young people, uh, like I think the argument for that uniformity is often one of equality, but you know across a horizontal view of student body of a cohort where we're still reinforcing a massive kind of class divide, uh, themness and usness that does create rebellion and it does create frustration. And I'm, I mean, I was, I was rather inspired by the Pimlico Academy stuff and on the, on the basis that to be challenged. And I think Anna, you'll agree with me. We've experienced we the times we have experienced rebellion has been quite passive rebellion of just them not giving a shit yeah no, like them just absolutely. checking out yeah and it being impossible to make stuff because we were too fixed in our thinking and in yeah. our approach mm. yeah they got bored they got they got bored it they felt disconnected from mm. it mm. and in terms that's of that's the worst to, rebellion i feel yeah it was it was <laughs> yeah. it was it was, it was the worst bleak. rebellion i've had it myself it's uh yeah we it's, we completely restructured our thinking after that yeah. that was one that was like a, a, a like a wake-up call a, wasn't yeah, it <laughs> key moment in the development of the company <laughs> yeah was like oh this thing that we thought that we were doing at some point we stopped doing it because they weren't involved. Mm. <laughs> like making theatre for, with and about young people, except the young people weren't with us <laughs> and yeah. didn't care about what we were doing. Yeah. And we were talking from our own perspective. So that's three ticks <laughs> turned into crosses. Well, it would be like, it'd be like us talking about teams every week without asking anyone else about yeah. them, I guess, on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think I'm really torn though, guys. I think I'm really torn on, on the Pimlico Academy because I do see a huge benefit in structure for young people. And I think that what young people do miss sometimes in their parental uh, situations yeah is structure you know the family unit looks very different these days than it did uh you know 20 30 40 years ago and you know that that is again there's positives in there there's negatives in there but it's very different and so sometimes school can be the only structure and structure can equal safety in my opinion sometimes and i do feel though some school some students especially in inner city london have thrived from the really strict schools because there's no gray areas. They just know what they need to do. And a lot of these schools are successful and have great results. Maybe they're not creative. Maybe these young people don't come out as adjusted or, you know, maybe they're all just kind of a number. But so that's why I'm kind of torn because on the other side, you know, the Googles of this world, the Facebooks of this world, their offices are anti-structure in in many areas. They want you to be as creative as possible. So if we want these guys to go out in the world, the working world looks different now. Like you were saying, Anna, they're not going into factories. They might be going into coding, you know, Mm. where wearing a hoodie and a pair of jeans is absolutely fine because you're coding and and you're earning a lot of money. (laughs) And that Sean is what, what I think we need to consider as our approach. I I absolutely don't disagree with structure and I would flag that we have a younger group. The group that we've mostly been talking about is uh, secondary age, secondary school age. We have a younger group that's a very, very different vibe and is much more structured. It still fits within the values of are they able to to express their voice? And I think that it, 
where I, th- I agree wholeheartedly that structure is necessary, I think we need to be pragmatic and think critically about what structures we're choosing. Because if the structure is you can't do, you can't wear these clothes because, and the because doesn't have a good enough answer, the, uh, the bullshit radar or the imbalance radar, and we've experienced this ourselves, um, and maybe you can talk a little bit about it. The, the, the unfairness radar of a young person is elite. <laughs> it has, you know, it's, it's, professional. it's, it's very professional. <laughs> they know when they're being shafted, not because, not because they feel it. Because if you walk down the corridor and you're told to stand in silence, but you see someone else not, and the only reason that they're allowed to speak and you're not is because they're the adult and you're the child. But there's also something about if the structure is enforced, Mm. really enforced on you, and there's no, for young people, there seems to be no logic behind a lot of the rules. And I agree, there isn't much logic to it. Um, But a lot of the rules are in place to keep them in place, to make the teacher's job easier. And I understand that with all these different young people from, you know, different backgrounds and stories. And it's hard to, it's hard to manage that. Um, but if the young people were part of the process of setting up the rules, I think you'd find a very different result. Yeah. And and you think about like the, the coaching, the life coaching or, or performance coaching uh, concept of a partnership agreement of, okay, what are the important things to be in this room? That, doesn't happen in schools. It can't happen in schools in that way. But the idea that how a rule is communicated to a young person in order to get them on board, uh, make them part of the the kind of active players in this team of learning uh, becomes crucial. Mm. I think you can have it in your classroom though, can't you? Mm. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Individual teachers can set their their boundaries and and their agreements within their class and their values. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just speaking from my experience of, you know, from my child speaking about her teachers, the teachers that she speaks well about are the teachers that allow, that listen to her, that allowed her to be herself in, in that classroom and who kind of understood that the school rules didn't necessarily make much sense, but let's play along because we have to. And to, you know. to frame that in your experience, Sean, because you've spoken about it on the podcast before, you love the strict teachers. You yes. you got a lot out of of the rigidity of it. Because yeah, because I didn't with the I just I just took liberties with the ones who weren't in, in all in all fairness, because I didn't think that they had a strong grasp of the room and my personality dominated theirs. Mm. And that's probably seen as a negative. That's probably a negative, you know, and I see it in young people now that I work with, but I needed to walk into a room and know what my purpose was for being there, that the teacher had everything switched on. They were ready to control 30 students in the room. Control is probably a wrong word. They were ready to support 30 students in the room and they were there for the right reasons and they were passionate about their subject. And then I was in, you know, Mm. then, then I was in, but yeah. It's, it's a really tricky thing to do. We're very privileged. We work in, a, in an independent school. We have smaller uh, class sizes, um, which makes things a lot easier to kind of manage. But, you know, if you are in a state school and you have 30 students, that is, that's a tough ask, you know, for yeah. everyone to have an opinion, for everyone's personality to feel like it exists. Because if, if you're in a structured state school and you can't have blue hair, but someone's personality is them having their hair blue, 
well, then that person, that young person is going to feel like they can't be themselves every day at school. So, you know, there's so many different angles yeah. to, for everyone to feel happy. And I think that's a real tough ask for kind of any school or mm. organization. Mm. No, I agree. I mean, with the, with the color thing, when, you know, the, the, the reasoning for those. By the, but just, t- just for the audio medium, uh, I've known Anna for several years and her hair has been several colours. So I'm just going to put so, that in. I'm slightly biased here. <laughs> um, but there's, you know, they, they give the reason to say that, but it's, it's a distraction from your learning. And I, you know, I beg to disagree. How can that distract anybody from learning? Then you're teaching in the wrong way. Then, you know, th- it's not fit for purpose, I don't think. Yeah, the rule doesn't suit the, no. the it's, it, 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 it's not a satisfactory explanation for the rule. No. And to be fair, we work in a, in a school with, you know, uh, quite, quite a relaxed dress code policy. You know, there's only a certain few things that you can't do. So we do get to see students able to express themselves a lot more than, uh, you know, just, just physically than, mm. than you would in a, in a, in a state school or a uniformed school. Um, and, you know, to be honest, I went in not liking that part of, of the school. However, you know, five years in, I find it really hard to say a time where I thought it was distracting. If that, mm. you know, mm. some some of our A star students may look quite different from from you know a lot of their other peers. It really, like you said, it really doesn't make that much of a difference, to be honest. Um, it, so yeah, in that example, I think the structure could be looked at certainly yeah. in, in most yeah. schools. At least justified in a way that a young person can understand. Yeah. And I think if they could understand it, it they would say, okay, fair enough. But as long as the explanation yeah. doesn't make sense, they're going to rebel. So we have been talking for a little while, quite a while. And um, probably, uh, well, I know you both personally, so we're probably going to continue this conversation <laughs> in a couple of different formats uh, moving forward. Um, but for the sake of the podcast, we ask the same questions to uh, everyone that's on. Uh, and the the first one, we like to say, Sean and I, that coaches make coaches, that the way that we teach or facilitate or lead or manage a team is kind of a product of how we've been led or taught or managed. Uh, Sean obviously is a coach uh, after the strictness of his previous teachers, uh, a coach <laughs> that likes to put his foot down. <laughs> um, I, I clearly was never taught. <laughs> um, so in this, in that spirit of coaches make coaches, who would you say are the people or person um, that has influenced the way that you facilitate a room or that you lead a team of young people? I think it changes all the time, mm. depending on who I'm working with. Um, I think I'm really lucky to be able to work with smart young people who teach me a lot about myself and the way I want to be as a facilitator. Um, but also, in fact, Mark, you, like you and I work really well together because we are very different in our approaches, but we complement each other well. And me being quite OCD and quite a bit too rigid in my way of approaching things sometimes, and I can't see us out of the box sometimes, having you... Saying, get doing messy. Yeah, it's really useful for me. And I find it really hard to go and get messy, but my God, it's useful. And it makes me think um, of what I need, what I can change, yeah. what I can do better all the time. And and like and likewise, that needs reining in 
Uh, so it's certainly useful. So to, it works to both, both ways, right? <laughs> Completely. Yeah. That yeah. messy consistency then, Mark, is because uh, I would say the exact same thing, Anna. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm much more like you in that sense, I, yeah. would, I would say. So I need Mark's consistent messy approach um, to kind and of I get the Sean best. I need looking at me disappointed <laughs> if the episode doesn't come out on time. <laughs> we, we, find, we find the right jigsaw pieces. Yeah. Indeed. So, I mean, setting aside... Setting aside uh, Setting aside me, um, which I appreciate. Thank you. Is there is there anyone else who's who's not any specific person? But but I but what I, I think about this a lot because as part of my PhD research, I'm doing a lot of self reflecting. Mm. I'm writing a reflective journal. So after every session we have, I go back, I think about it in detail, and I write about it in detail, and I think about what could I have done differently at any given point in that session. And it makes me really think about the stuff that other people do and how it affects me and the choices that I make. So every single session, I learn something new from somebody in the room. And that is what inspires me to, to do things differently or think differently or approach things dif- differently. And do you then try, like, consciously try something out the next session? or Sometimes, yes. Yeah. Uh, or quite often, it's just something that I've made myself aware of mm. and that sits there at the back of my, my mind. And it's something that's really useful um, but quite often I think, oh shit, I've got to go and we've got to change, change it up drastically. And, yeah. and we do. And, and that's that to, to kind of commentate on that a little bit. I think that's one of the most exciting and valuable things. And, you know, forged it, forged in the fire of failure about WCT is like, there have been those moments when we've looked at each other and gone, we kind of need to burn this to the ground because mm. what we want to be working isn't working. Mm. And I think anytime we've actually had that circumstance, uh, it's been about going, okay, guys, it's yours. Yeah. And seeing seeing what's in the room. Yeah. It's always about what's in the room at any given moment. I think I like that uh, coaches make coaches where one of the coaches is the person themselves in a sense and, and self-reflection because I think um, it gets mentioned a lot and it's a hugely important part of any type of coaching and and management and leadership Mm. is to look back at yourself and your actions in any given session or within any group. Um, But it's really hard because the pace of daily life means you may just do your session. I'll just take, you know, a football coach, for instance, session starts at, at, you know, six o'clock. They work for an hour and a half with a bunch of eight year olds. It's all craziness going on. Let's just manage the session. Let's get through this. You finish it, you get in your car or you get back on the bus, you get home, you have your dinner, you know, where is that point of reflection? But it's so important, you know, but um, yeah, practically it's a very, very difficult thing to do. And I know obviously you're doing it as part of a PhD, but I think if we brought more self-reflection into our kind of daily activities and, and, and look back at ourselves, I think it would only be for the better. But um, I won't be a hypocrite here because I think it's a very tough thing to do, um, but, but important. Yeah, it is. And we spend so much time, we spend so much time uh, in the format that we work in thinking on our feet, mm. uh, you know, working off of a blank page that we don't necessarily have the opportunity beforehand to to feel a sense of what's happening next mm. so the the kind of the reflection afterwards is is important and obviously you do that better than me because I'm the messy one <laughs> but it's I am the works. messy of applied theater <laughs> I've used that name right haven't I Sean you have yes indeed yes wow 
<laughs> Mark's uh, football applied theatre reference. And then the last question that we ask is, uh, is, is there anything you would like to plug or put people uh, onto or bring people's awareness to? Uh, at the end of this conversation. Well, I would obviously plug the radio show, show that we are doing with the young people at the moment called The Realist, which you can find on any recognised pl- uh, podcast platform. Yeah. Um, Apple, uh, I'll Spotify. put links in the show notes so that yeah. everyone can go and see it. Again, like completely unplanned. Completely unplanned. That was not part of our game plan for lockdown Not at theater. all. It, it was born out of session after session after session of us just sitting there going... Oh, this is boring. Lockdown is boring. What can we do? We can't be creative. And yeah. then you coming up with this like, rogue how do we, idea. How do, we, how do we share? How do we make performance? And it just worked. Yeah. And they bring stuff to us and they do crazy stuff. It's like, it's, it's such a, it's such a fun listen. Uh, check out the links in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, anything, anything else? No. Oh, it's a great conversation. Thank, Thank you guys. You. Thank you. Um, yeah, so keep keep uh, looking the show notes for links to the Realist and to Waterloo Community Theatres. There is uh, <clears throat> a donate button on there. Like we said, we're completely <laughs> reliant on funders. Yes, no um, amount is ever ever too small. No, thank you so much for coming on, Anna. Thank you for having me. So I do feel a little bit guilty that it's taken this long to get Anna on the podcast. I know, especially yeah, you uh, work together a lot, don't you? So yeah. um, in, a, in a couple of different ways, and I'm I'd like I've never asked if she listens, <laughs> but I'm hoping, seeing as seeing as I qualified as a coaches make coaches recipient of of the fir- the first one of us two that, that has made it into that. <laughs> I know, I feel very jealous, very jealous. Um, yeah, what a what an achievement, my friend! A guest putting you <laughs> in their coaches make coaches. I hope one day I will have enough money to pay for someone to do that for me. Well, it sounds like if if we did interview you on that very subject, you'd mention me too. I mean, and, and I, I'm hugely flattered. Well. But, but stop it. Uh, <laughs> I am, it is really, really flattering and, but also quite interesting to, to, to have reflected back to me by now at least two people that, that like my energy or my, my, Belbin team role or whatever kind of is suited in a particular way to other people. Like you, you and Anna both mentioned that there's this, there's this Markness mess, mess. Yep, we called it mess. <laughs> yeah, uh, Mark messiness that has its value, which is good because I don't think messiness is often seen as particularly valuable in workplaces or whatever. But for me to have to to reflect that that works best when it is kind of combined with something a little more ordered and organised. Yeah, you can't have two messes working on a project, (laughs) can you? Goodness me. No, I I think it's good for you as well, though, because you do enjoy those elements. So, you know, if if someone was feeding back something to you that you don't particularly enjoy or don't feel aligned to... The thing about Mark is he's such a drag when it comes to deadlines. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think it's good that... um, It's good that that aligns with kind of how you do like to work. Um... 
And it's a learning tool to say, if I am going into a project, like you said, uh, with the Belbin team role stuff, it's like, I'm going to be better suited to work with this individual, yeah. the the facilitator or whatever. Who would, what would, I'm trying to think of what the specific word would be for maybe me and Anna. I forget what we, what we may be. The completer finisher. Completer finisher. Very much on both, on both counts. Yeah. So completer finisher would be someone that you would work with. And if we did, you know, if we were working in a, a very Belbin-esque organization where everyone understood these roles then it would be really valuable because every single time you were going into something new or whatever you tried to align yourself uh collaborate with that yeah. complete finisher but we'd always need yourself yeah especially at the start of that project to get it off the ground because so many things i don't think get off the ground because of perfectionism in yeah. terms of people thinking well it's not going to be perfect we've we spoke about this many times um you know and you see it out there a lot with you know coaches and just on social media the big voices out there that kind of tell you you know you've just got to get it started yeah it's got to be started whatever that may be a small business an organization a fun run yeah. set up uh, your club a set new up career. your team yeah just get it off the ground and it's it's one of the hardest things to do and i think it's because a lot of people don't have someone like yourself in their ear like not afraid of that initial mess absolutely to kind of like muddy up the blank page. Absolutely. And that's why I think, you know, the whole point of this podcast is to talk about teams a lot. And, you know, it's because it's so vital because if you want to have a four member team, each one of you has to play yeah. your part. And it's impossible to be strong at all of those elements because they are in direct contradiction to each other. It is, imp it is impossible to be messy and tidy it at the same time <laughs> exactly exactly paradox yeah but i think just touching on on the episode as well i think it was really cool anna just kind of bringing in those things about the importance of listening to student voice um or young person voice sorry mm. um and also just kind of taking taking in what you get get in the room you can probably speak more on that like we could we could have a an entire slightly off topic episode just on this idea that that anna and i encountered where all of the good intentions of our sessions, all of our planning was actually the weakness of the session that to that, that we ended up being at odds with the people we were working for. And that is that is where certainly my messiness or my comfort with that with that chaos is a strength because the Anna was talking about her PhD and the challenge of being in facilitated spaces, but allowing the voices of the community out when you have strong leaders and or, or where you have an expected power imbalance. So where you've got adults and young people, where you've got, you know, a class divide or whatever, an expectation, the educated, the not educated, whatever you want to, whatever you encounter, there's a whole bunch of stuff that people are bringing with them into that about that power dynamic that means if the young people didn't want to give their voice we would feel like it falls on us to to make something happen there and then you fall into a pattern of well the thing that's being represented in the room is my agenda as the leader or Anna's agenda as the leader yeah it's so it's so funny because obviously you know that's coming from a performance kind of creative space and a lot of those elements are taken out in the sporting context mm. i think because you know a good coach is you know so planned up yeah. you know so organized ready for that session but 
I don't think there's many elite academies out there telling their coaches to come with a kind of plan. Yeah. But their first question to the young people that they're doing the session with is, where are you at today? What are you feeling like? Like literally, what are you feeling like doing? Do you want to do this type of session? This type of session? Are we playing games today? Do we look like we want to do some fitness? Like what What do you want to do today? And I think you the probably do do that. do that, but with a different set of criteria, because I think that if you went into a, you know, where we're talking about kind of creative making, where you're talking about physical making, where you're talking about the, the exercise and energy, if you weren't doing that as far as uh, physical condition went, as far as injury went, you'd be making your players do stuff that was hurting them or do stuff that was going to that, that not condition the right thing. So there's a subtlety, I think. There's a subtlety when you turn up to that session to kind of feel what the vibe may be. But, you know, uh, Dan Abraham's uh, sports psychologist, um, has a podcast himself has lots of different uh kind of psychologists on there from across the kind of sporting landscape um and it's really interesting he's just tapping into that kind of psychological skills of a coach and really tapping into what the sh the, the young people or the athletes that you're working with are looking for there yeah. so even asking simple questions as a check-in at the beginning of the session as to what does a good session look like today yeah so if they say fast fun uh, structured hopefully you can then deliver that session yeah that you've got the experience like you were saying that you've got the experience to pull that session or to f factor format reformat the session that you had lined up to be more to be like that but that's not one an easy task and two asking that question which i certainly don't ask every session i've tried it as a as a, as a little tester and it's kind of worked kind of not worked but like really putting that into your coaching or into your facilitating in, in, in your case of what do we want this session to look like today? What do we want this, our outcomes to be or, or, and, and the check-in of how, yeah. how are we? Then you can kind of build what the session looks like and it might not be your planned A session, but as you move up the kind of elite and we can talk about performance, yep. you know, national theater performance or whatever it may be and an elite academy environment um, across any sport, you know, is that happening at that elite level or is it just a really trained uh, director or coach saying this is what we're doing today? I think there's a couple of things there to, to do the, to the last thing first. I think part of what we are doing at the grassroots level is empowering people to be able to answer those questions and manage that themselves. So that yeah. so that the professional performer is going into that that rehearsal, knowing where they're at. And being able to to bring that and to communicate that, like, because the other thing that makes the whole process dif difficult, and this happens a lot with young people, is, and we're going to role play. Um, I want you to check in with me. Go on, give me give me a, 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 a standard check in question, and I will be the the young person. Uh, so let's say this is after school. So it'd be how how's your day been? Yeah. All right. Any positives? Not really. Okay. Are you looking forward to today's session? Don't know. And that yeah. is, it happens a lot. Absolutely. And we've talked probably off mic actually, I don't know if we've ever talked about it in, in an episode about how that is communicating something itself. Even if it's not 
verbalizing the thing that it's communicating in words. It is itself a communication and the subtlety that you're talking about is of a coach or of a director or of a teacher or of a, an adult facilitator or a facilitator anywhere to kind of ask and have a, 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 an understanding or a feeling of what is being communicated with that so that I can still tailor the session. I'm just not tailoring it towards someone saying, oh, I need it to be this. They're not saying anything, but they're communicating loads. But I think, and, and this is where kind of the coaching industry, if we look at more now life coaching yeah. or professional coaching, and we've had, you know, we've spoke to coaches on, on this podcast, you know, who aren't sports coaches, they are coaches, yeah. right, career coaches, are, you know, in some cases, charging quite a bit of money for them to figure out how they can work in that space and how they can understand. Whereas for a lot of people, if you listen to athletes we've had on and they talk about their coaches, make coaches or whatever, or directors who work with in the past or teachers, they have that innate ability to smell, yeah. to sniff out yeah. what the, the issue is or yeah. that something is not right or something is off with this young person or this athlete or the group. Yeah, well, we talk, we, like every single one has gone, what's important about teamwork? It's about communication. And we could interpret that as it's about developing a verbal language that we share, but actually it's not. It's about a coach being able to communicate here and, and feedback in whatever way they need in that moment. And a lot of it is non-verbal. And a lot of it is non-verbal. A lot Absolutely. of it is 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 reading reading the work that's happening. Absolutely. And being able to feedback on that. And I think you need to be brave as well. And Mark, you can probably tell me in your experience whether you've done this, but like I certainly have, where I've gone into the session with plan A, 15 minutes in, this is not what they're looking for today. Yeah, every time. Like, and, and, and I have and, to rip it up. Yeah, and Anna I, and I talked stop. about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and you have to stop and you have to address it. Sometimes plan A is the right plan, yeah. but they're not bringing the energy that plan A needs. And maybe it is the group sometimes, and you do need to address the group. You have an opportunity to raise your energy levels right now and lock into this and give this another go, which can sometimes work just to address, yeah. address that maybe they needed that little kick at the proverbial backside or plan A is not what they need right now. Check in with that, even if it's halfway through the session. And if possible, change it up even if it's just slightly or even if it is just t totally different and you know some people will listen to this and say that's quite unrealistic but it's not because you should be coming to the table with two or three yeah. different ways it's hyper it's it. hyper realistic because it's it's literally responding to what's real in that moment and i'm aware that everyone knows their groups like everyone knows their groups differently you know if your group has signed up for being told what to do every week yeah. And that be why they're in the room. Uh, we know that our group isn't that. Our group is is often a show up, have a grump, see what positive thing we can make out of that grump, which is which is, you know, part and parcel of them processing it as a young person. So it's not it it's as much about knowing the group and what they've agreed to be in the room for in the first place as it is about being the person defining that room. Very true. It's interesting. My um, my brother went for a, a a job interview recently where he actually had to put on a session, mm. and it was a twenty minute session, and there was five other coaches who who had to put their session on as well. And I just find that that's quite difficult. And I'd imagine if you're a teacher going in and you have to deliver that session, uh, that 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 class, is that none of those rules 
uh, those agreements, sorry, mm. between you and the group of people you're working with have been set up. Nothing. Nothing, Nothing is there. So for me, it's actually not the ideal way of finding who that best teacher is yeah. or that best young person is. Now, I don't actually have the alternative better idea. Um, so, so, for, so, for, so for me, practically, it's the difference between believing that the rules that are in the room need to be yours and or that need to be the rooms. So uh, as a guest in that room, it shouldn't be these guys behaving in the way that I expect them to, but rather me adapting my practice and adapting my behavior to what the room is set up for. So if I'm coming like, and I've had these, that kind of the job interview teaching practice, asking that question of the te of the teacher that normally teaches them, if it's possible, like, so what's, so what's this room? What, what are the expectations? If you have the opportunity to do that, then of course, and, and then that goes back to you, you know, yeah. being switched on enough to ask those questions in to the first place. It. But, but then you can, the but then you the can ask, like. and, and I, I will acknowledge that drama teaching and drama practice offers a certain freedom uh, because it's about exploration, because part of what we're teaching is risk-taking or looking in the dark to find something. So there is a luxury that you have of going into a room of people at whatever age and uh, going, so what do we, what is this room? The younger they are, the more likely it is that you're going to get no answer. Yeah. But the older they are, certainly the, the more likely it is you're going to get respected by them for engaging on their terms. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting in the episode we speak to Anna and, and it moves into kind of guided discovery and, mm. and, and a lot of that asking questions. And, it's, you know, I just find it interesting that if I was doing that 20 minute session with uh, a group of young 20 people. 20 minutes is a pointless session. Though. <laughs> 20 minutes with a group of young people that I've not worked with before. And my coaching style is one of guided discovery. And I believe in that as a, as a coaching philosophy. And I say to this group of young people, what could you have done here? Yeah. What could you have done instead of this? Or what does this look like to you? Or what formation would you like to set up with? And you get 12, eight-year-olds just looking at your 10, 12-year-olds just looking at you blankly. That's going to just yeah. throw you off. And so like, you however, know, if you turn that around and say to those eight-year-olds, okay, so what was the last thing you did when you finished the last session? And then you as a, as a practitioner, like can pick up where they're at. Then you're meeting them where they are in the room. Style wise, everyone's going to be different. But if you know, like I'm thinking back to the last time I had to do this as a job interview and your impulse is, oh, I've got to show, I've got to teach them everything they need to know about uh, drama <laughs> your, yeah your impulse is I've got to teach them everything to know about this subject yeah. in the 20 minutes so that I look yeah good enough to to and actually no all you need to do is move them on one step yeah it's a good point like and then after that if you've got time move them on another step and that means spending a little bit of time a decent amount of time enough time for you to know where are we at that's no, true. And I think that's the really important question uh, from this episode, I think, um, 
to highlight is that where are we at? Yeah. And and what do we have in the room? We can't really control what comes into the room, no. uh, which is what Anna kind of uh, was speaking about. Uh, and then what do we do when, when we have those people in the room? And adaptability, collaboration, huge on, on the list. Yeah. Um, and know it, knowing, that, knowing that Mark Energy can be nipped by Anna Energy or that Anna Energy can be exploded by Mark Energy as and when you need it. So that you like like working in collaboration with Anna means I can front foot it or I can step back. Yeah, finding that person that you can work really well with is you know it's a it's a lot easier said than done. I think mm. um, to find that right person and the more you know how you like to work, I think is important. Yeah, to find then who can kind of balance you out. But um, go do a Melbourne Team Rules <laughs> assessment or one of the others because like there's a whole bunch of communication, uh, a whole bunch of. Uh, psychometric testing that will give you something like that but Belvin obviously we we love uh, because it because yeah you know that's the start of knowing what's in the room is knowing what you bring into the room as well told you we were going to chat afterwards uh, that's all for today uh, thank you everyone for tuning in listening uh, do check out all of the stuff that Anna was was plugging at the end including uh, the radio slash podcast project that uh, well I certainly don't think we would have done if I hadn't have been playing around with there's no I in podcast for a year if you want to feedback to us you can review us on Apple or Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts do send us your five star reviews like your favourite Uber driver you can uh, reach out to us directly by adding us uh, at no I podcast on Twitter and Instagram or by emailing Mark or Sean at noipodcast.show or you'll notice there's links to the LinkedIn profiles. Uh, you can you can uh, connect with us there and start um, start chatting that conversation uh, because there's lots of fun stuff going on there. You'll also notice in the show notes that we've added a little link uh, to uh, a site called coffee.com. Uh, uh, and that is a way, if you are enjoying the content and you want to uh, treat us to a Gale's cappuccino or like... Girls need to give us some money to sponsor. Other other companies are available. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh no, we're, we not, just we're, not the, we're not the BBC. We can be we can be biased. Uh, yeah, if you want to treat us to a sausage roll and a cappuccino from Gales, uh, you can you can treat us by going to coffee uh, ko hyphen fi dot com slash no i podcast and donate a little bit of coin there, and it's all going to get spent on uh, us treating ourselves. <laughs> Well, <laughs> caffeine produces the episodes, Mark, so we can't actually do the episodes without yeah. caffeine. There's no IM podcast sponsored by caffeine. Uh, that's all for that's all for today. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. As always, last thing is for me to say goodbye from Sean. Goodbye, guys. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. You must be like the wolf pack. Teamwork. Yes.